Welcome back to another edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. John, as SEC Media Days was exiting the scene last week, got some other big news, bigger news than whatever happened at SEC Media Days, uh, certainly for Tennessee. They learned their notice of allegations from the NCAA and it's 18 level one violations, at least allegations of 18 level ones that they will be facing from the recruiting scandal that occurred under Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, Later on, we're going to get into uh, the media poll from SEC Media Days and discuss uh, who was overrated, underrated, but we're going to start off taking a look at this, uh, this report from the NCAA, what it might mean for Tennessee. So John, you covered, I covered the entirety of the Jeremy Pruitt era at Tennessee. What an era it was. <laughs> and now we can <laughs> we can start to put a bookend on it. Uh, not quite, but we're getting closer. What was your what was your thought as you s- saw the news come down last week of these allegations of 18 level ones and Pruitt functioning in the twin role of coach and bag man peddling cash with an assist from his wife peddling cash to players and recruits and their families, at least according to these allegations from the NCAA. A couple of things came to mind right away. An old Tammy Wynette song, Stand By Your Man. Casey Pruitt certainly did that. Another thing that came to mind was, what if this would have happened in the early 1980s and Tennessee had been named SMU instead of Tennessee? I, I mean, 18 level one violations and and yeah, they're allegations, but Tennessee isn't going to fight this. They're going to accept this because it's done everything it can to accommodate the NCAA and avoid severe penalties. But this was a massive, massive cheating scandal. And uh, Philip Fulmer, the AD was unscathed in it. Well, he basically was fired though. They kindly said he was stepping aside. So someone else could hire the next football coach. Why wouldn't you want him to hire the next coach? So, I mean, he, it was as though he was out to lunch the whole time. Yeah, that was, that was my two major takeaways from this, John, beyond like all the details of the, the report and, you know, the whole buying recruits impermissible meals at McDonald's, which of course, you know, allows us to know that yes, McDonald's did have a place in this tale. As, as you recall, you know, Dan Patrick was saying from the beginning that, uh, Tennessee was passing out cash in McDonald's bags. Well, there was no allegations of cash being housed in the McDonald's bags, although there were allegations of cash being passed out. Apparently, the McDonald's place in the tail was simply impermissible meals at McDonald's. But but beyond that, you know, beyond the actual allegations themselves, the, the two things that just stood out to me was, number one, Pruitt went 16 and 19 across three seasons, despite allegations of flagrant cheating that occurred throughout his whole tenure. You know, this wasn't just allegations of his final months, you know, stuff that was happening in 2020 during the COVID dead period. No, this this dates back to 2018, his first season. So that was one thing that jumped out to me, like despite cheating across his whole tenure, Jeremy Pruitt had a losing record, number one. And then number two, was Jeremy Pruitt, a former PE teacher who once claimed to not know what asparagus was, 
hoodwinked his bosses for more than two years before suspicion was aroused that he was cheating here. So really mastermind Jeremy Pruitt in some ways. I mean, he got a contract extension just four months before he was fired that Philip Fulmer and Tennessee's chancellor signed. They gave him a two-year extension, gave him a raise. And then, oh, a couple months later, the chancellor found out that Pruitt was cheating all this time. Fulmer never did find out. I mean, as you recall, John, at the final press conference to dismiss Jeremy Pruitt, for some reason, Tennessee found the need to invite Philip Fulmer, even though he was on his way out too. And there was a question to Philip about, well, what'd you think, you know, what were some of the high points of the Pruitt era? And Fulmer, without skipping a beat, says, recruiting was good. <laughs> it's like, well, now, wait a second, Fulmer. Then did you miss the memo as to why we're all here? You know, your mean... man's getting fired for recruiting malfeasance. So, yeah, that was, that was the other thing that stood out to me was just, despite Fulmer's omnipresence around the program, somehow he just was clueless to the end. Didn't know any of this was going on. Yeah, talk about a tone-deaf comment. I mean, the thing with Pruitt, I, I, I like the way you characterize him. That's the first time ever I've ever heard him referred to as a mastermind. But isn't that all relative? I mean, if you have a classroom full of D students, one of them will be the smartest. And in this classroom, maybe Jeremy Pruitt really was the smartest. And maybe he was just playing dumb a lot of the times, certainly on the sideline. So when we we look forward to see, you know, where does this go from here? I think in the old days, it would have been obvious that Tennessee is getting a minimum of a one-year bowl ban here. Because just as comparison's sake, the big recruiting scandal that Ole Miss had at the end of a few freezes tenure there, they got hit with 15 level one violations. So three fewer than what Tennessee's facing here, just as a comparison of the magnitude of what Tennessee's facing. 15 level ones for Ole Miss resulted in a two-year bowl ban. And of course, Tennessee has self-imposed some penalties, including scholarship reductions, but they did not self-impose a bowl ban. However, I think there's a case that Tennessee may get out of this without a bowl ban because the NCAA enforcement says it's heading into a new era. There's going to be a new NCAA constitution take place next month in, in August. And and the, the path forward that the NCAA says it wants to take is, you know, less focus on postseason bans, more focus on punishing the bad actors. So in this case, Pruitt and his other lackeys who were involved here, you know, it seems like Tennessee maybe has positioned itself to avoid a postseason ban. Of course, the NCAA and its report, they did allege Tennessee had a failure to monitor, which <laughs> that seems obvious, right? So Tennessee is facing a level one failure to monitor charge, but the NCAA did not assess a lack of institutional control, which is the higher of the two charges. And they credited Tennessee with, quote, exemplary cooperation in this investigation, which, well, no kidding. You know, Tennessee fired Pruitt for cause and they stiffed him on his $12.6 million buyout. So, of course, they had exemplary cooperation. They needed <laughs> they needed that uh, fire for cause uh, to, to stand up. But, hey, they I understand their moves. They did what they did for a reason. They wanted to get rid of a bad coach and not pay him his buyout. I get it. And now they'll take their chances with the NCAA. So it all seems to be setting up 
okay for Tennessee, despite these 18 level ones. But I'll say to the end, John, you can never trust the NCA in these scenarios. I don't care about new constitution, you know, NCA enforcement heading in a new direction. I still say until you see what the sanctions are going to be, you got to be just a little bit uncomfortable because the NCA is a, is a fickle partner in these scenarios. We've seen it time and time again. Yeah. You made a really good point with that. And, and you wrote that too in a column. Um, however, of all the things you said, what really stuck out to me was when you referred to Jeremy Pruitt's lackeys. How would you like to have on your resume once served as Jeremy Pruitt's lackey? How's that going to help your job search? <laughs> I think uh, Donnie Plowman, the UT chancellor, did a great job with this. UTM had its own investigation, exposed all kinds of uh, improprieties. It basically did all the legwork for the NCAA. I just wonder how the NCAA will look at Philip Fulmer, the athletic director. Will it say, oh, he just, he had no clue of this? I mean, that that pretty much categorized him as an utter dolt. If he was this oblivious to what was going on, you said, as you pointed out, Tennessee was not hit with a lack of institutional control. Maybe they didn't consider Philip Former to be part of the institution. Or maybe they just assumed he was so clueless. How could they expect him to have any control over the situation, despite the fact that he attended football practice every day? and was basically a de facto assistant offensive line coach, maybe that's the way the NCAA saw it was, hey, this guy this guy was masquerading as an AD. Yeah, you know, was he was an up. AD in name only. He was really an assistant O-line coach. How can we expect him to have any control over the situation? Good point. It was just as though he was kind of a fill-in guy there, and they had to put somebody in charge after they fired uh, John Curry, and so they put him in there, and <laughs> we couldn't expect him to – adequately monitor this situation yeah that may be it i don't know I, I wonder though if the ncaa might say that uh tennessee needs to cut ties with philip former do you think you well, could I, go I think that far <laughs> i think tennessee has decided it wants to cut ties with philip former although he does have a way of coming back around you know he was gone as coach then he comes back as a special assistant to the president then he gets back as as AD. He does he does have a way of just popping back up whenever you least suspect it. I guess he's the boomerang man. He still gets complimented. I, I think he has a uh, luxury box there in the in Neyland Stadium. I guarantee you he has tickets, complimentary tickets. So he came out of this pretty good. He got a uh, he got a nice severance package. And they did not say he was guilty of any any transgressions. So, John, this whole thing tells me that Jeremy Pruitt either did not learn or paid no mind to really the three rules of being a college coach, which to me, rule number one, buy a burner phone. Don't conduct any of your illicit activity on your university paid for cell phone. That's words of wisdom that uh, Hugh Freeze probably should have adhered to at, uh, at Ole Miss. His, part of his problem was he was not uh, making his phone calls on his burner phone. He was using his university phone. You would think that would be rule number one for any coach and any assistant coach working under him. That's part of the problem here. Uh, Got to use, use burner phones that you can toss into the river at the first sign of, of trouble. Rule number two, 
find a good bag man. And don't use your wife as your bag man. Don't use yourself as your bag man. Find, you know, create a few layers of separation between the bag man and you. So if yeah, if you get if you get caught, maybe you got a few fall guys in between you and the bag man, and and there's there's no real connection, no no lines that you can draw directly between the coach and, and the bag man. And number three, don't get caught. But if you're doing number one and number two, that that helps you along that path here. I mean, that that was really Jeremy Pruitt's cardinal sin was not only did he lose, but he got caught cheating. You can get caught cheating, I think, and survive. Your, your tenure could survive if you're winning. Or you can lose and maybe hang around for a little while uh, if the university doesn't want to pay your buyout. But the combination of being a loser and being a cheater, that's you, you just you can't overcome that. But yeah, to me, that's this that's what this is. This is a reminder of of the three rules of coaching. And Jeremy Pruitt didn't didn't adhere to those, does not seem. He might have one play left. He said at some point he wants to tell his side of the story. <laughs> I'm waiting on that with bated breath. Here's a possible play. Throw his wife under the sword. Say that Casey orchestrated the whole thing. And he didn't he didn't know what she was doing out there. They don't give wives co- show cause with the NCAA. So she she's good with the NCAA. He was Can just you, a good husband going on, going along with this. He he got pulled into matters that he yeah. really didn't want to be in. It was it was Casey leading the charge. That's what you're saying. Play that yeah, play that defense. I, Just the un, unwitting husband being being lured to his to his pitfall by his wife, huh? It wouldn't that wouldn't be the first time that's happened. And and I think he can play Jeremy Pruitt can play unwitting really well. That would he not be a stretch at all. That. Yeah, I mean that's that's one route. I think the other route is uh, to, to play the card of where where was my AD? Where was my leadership here? Hey, I'm just a first time coach. How was I supposed to know what to do? And I got this legend, that's my boss, who was coming to practice every day. You know, he won a national championship at Tennessee as a coach, and Fulmer said throughout his time as AD that football was his number one priority. It seemed like he was keeping a close watch over the program. So I think that that's my other avenue. If you want to play that that card of where was my leadership, where was where was my AD providing my me advice and counsel and keeping me from getting into these these waters, you know? I mean, last fall, I guess it was Jeremy Pruitt's lawyer in a letter to the university threatened to burn the house down, threatened a fiery lawsuit if they didn't settle. Well, Tennessee, they said, "Bring it on, we're re- we're ready here." And no lawsuit ever came. But at this point, you know, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, what do you have to lose? I mean, I don't know that he stands a great case if he were to bring this to suit. Seems like he violated any number of provisions in his contract, at least according to this list of allegations from the NCAA. So, you know, I don't think he's got any real slam dunk case, but I think the argument against suing was always well, what if he wants to coach in college again? Like, do you really want to be suing your former former employer and burning their house down? You know, that's that's not a great line on your resume as you're trying to get back into the college game of, you know, there's that line on the resume of burn down the house of his former employer. But now, I mean, it seems almost certain, John, that 
Pruitt's going to get a show cause. And I mean, who's going to hire this guy again in the college ranks after all this? So now I say like, yeah, I don't know if he's got a good case, but really, honestly, what's he have to lose? It seems like his college coaching career is probably over anyway. So might as well try to kick up some, some dust and see if he can get some settlement money. I don't even know if he can get settlement money at this point. I would, I might go for a book deal. Ooh, that's a guy like that. Yeah. That, that's maybe a better route. Yeah. You're I'm playing checkers. You're playing chess. I, <laughs> that's a good point. Skip the lawsuit and go straight to the book deal. I think there's some publishing companies that will go for that. He's got, again, and I like, I kind of like your take on it there too. Let him play the, uh, unwitting buffoon who was duped by, uh, higher powers. I.e. the the shrewd athletic director Philip Fulmer, who said, "It's all good, Jeremy. You're doing great. Just keep it up." I love the yep. way you're recruiting. <laughs> yeah, right up until the end. Yeah. Right up until the end. Philip yeah. Fulmer loved the way Jeremy was recruiting. <laughs> yeah, and then Fulmer hit the hit the brake so so hard the car's still spinning. All right, changing gears, John. We'll leave Jeremy Pruitt behind as Tennessee would like to leave the Jeremy Pruitt era behind as quickly as they can. And they're they're one step further down that process now that they've they've received this notice of allegations. We'll see where it goes from here. Uh, but where we're going from here is a look at the SEC's preseason media poll as picked by the scribes who cover this league who were at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. John, before we get to the poll itself, I want to start with this. Vanderbilt received one first place vote in this poll. Maybe the biggest upset of SEC Media Days. I don't I'm not sure if you can really award upsets in Media Days, but in so much as you can, I think that's it. Vanderbilt claiming a first-place vote in the East. So my question, John, is what would appropriate punishment be for the scribe who voted Vanderbilt atop the East? We don't know who this person was. Private ballot. I tried to find out from the SEC, but they're they're protecting that voter's anonymity to the end. They said, no, sorry, I can't reveal can't reveal who that is that, that voted Vanderbilt atop the poll. So we don't, and that nobody's revealed themselves as the Vandy voter. But if we could find out who it was, what do you think would be appropriate punishment for that person? Well, I just think name recognition be, would be the most appropriate. But I mean, can you imagine being known as a known as the a sports writer or sports media person who voted Vanderbilt to win the SEC? Not just the East, mind you. The SEC wasn't it the whole thing? I believe it was just the. I think was it? it was just the division, but okay. Well, yeah, it was just the. It was just the division. Vanderbilt did not get any votes to be SEC champion. So, they <laughs> hey, can you imagine? Would w- would you pay to watch that game? Alabama and Vanderbilt teeing it up for the SEC championship. Oh my gosh! See, my How punishment fun. would be this. Whoever voted for Vanderbilt to win the East should be required to cover every Vanderbilt game this season. I think that would be appropriate. Of course, there are a few scribes that have to do that. Our uh, our USA Today Network beat writer at the, the Tennessean, Aria Gerson, she's does a fine job covering the doors, and that's part of her job as being in every Vanderbilt game. And, of course, 
they got a couple other reporters that cover their whole season. So maybe it was one of those, maybe it was a Vanderbilt beat writer that voted for him. But if it wasn't a Vandy beat writer, I say whoever it was that voted for him should have to be in the press box every week covering the covering the doors since they think so highly of him. Uh, I don't think that would be sufficient. I would go a little step further than that. Um, just getting to the Vanderbilt press box is a challenge. But to me, you should have to attend every practice. Now, Clark <laughs> Lee, he may have a policy of uh, no media practice. You're there, or you're there in a lot of places. They let you watch the players stretch for 15 minutes. But I think Clark Lee should be – and keep in mind that Clark Lee set, set the tone for this when he talked about building a national championship program at Vanderbilt. He actually said that, and people just dismissed it like, oh, well, he, what's he going to say anyway? He's a coach at Vanderbilt. It, it, it was as though it was dismissed without even a chuckle. Uh, but anyway, so maybe that that media person said, well, I believe in this guy. Anybody that's, that's confident enough to predict a championship, I'm going, I'm riding with that guy. And so maybe that's maybe that's what happened. But at least Clark Lee should let that voter go to every practice, watch right. every watch every minute of it. He's pretty much at this point just a shill, pumping out public public good public relations for for Vanderbilt. So you might as well bring him into the bring him into the fold. Maybe even hire him to the staff, director of media relations, new what? new director of PR. Well, I mean, we joke about this, Blake, but maybe there's a serious undertow here. Maybe, maybe the voter was drunk when he when he cast that ballot. And maybe I, having the guy been to needs several help. media days, John, I can tell you that yeah, that most of the scribes, uh, myself included, in this group at some of the media days, you do spend a portion of your time down there. Uh, with a minimum of one beverage sitting in front of you. So, yes, I think that's that's a possibility that they uh, had maybe had one too many uh, one too many tall boys before logging logging this ballot. Base, <laughs> base. Past the, the fact that Vanderbilt is is at the bottom of, of the poll here. They they did not they did not escape the cellar despite this first place vote. Um, let's let's get into other reactions here. So let's start with the East, John. Of course, Georgia's atop the the division. They they carried the poll uh, in runaway fashion in the East, followed by number two, Kentucky, number three, Tennessee, number four, Florida, number five, South Carolina, and number six, Missouri. And there's, there's Vanderbilt down there at the bottom, seventh in the East. So what's your reaction to seeing this, this order here in the SEC East? The two things that stick out, I think Kentucky's overrated and Florida's overrated. People have really bought into what a good job Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky, and I understand that. Based on what the program has done historically, he's, he's done a really good job there. However, he hasn't been able to take the next step. I don't think he's th- come that close to the next step. So to think he's going to me, I th- I have Tennessee second. So Kentucky to me to finish second in the East would have to beat Tennessee in Neyland Stadium. 
And Kentucky's record against Tennessee is horrific. It just can't beat the Vols. Even when it has a better team, it often fails to beat uh, Tennessee. The other point that the other point would be Florida rated where it is. Florida has an image of success. the The image is is somewhat in um, in, in decline, but it, it's still there because Florida's it wasn't you know we won a couple of national titles in the two thousands under Urban Meyer, and just there's image the image that Florida's supposed to be good. But I just don't think it's that good. And people that are voting Florida that high really believe in Anthony Richardson and quarterback. I think he's a great talent, but he hasn't proved to me he can stay healthy. I mean, durability is a key component of being successful quarterback in the SEC. So those things stick out. I think South Carolina to me is underrated. I have South Carolina third behind Tennessee. I'm surprised you don't have South Carolina first in the East. I know how much you <laughs> like the Gamecocks and Spitzer Rattler, but you're not going that high, huh? No, but I, I do think South Carolina is could be the most improved team in the league. And I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate on your first point, John, with with Kentucky versus Tennessee, and then I want to respond to the, the your thoughts on Florida versus South Carolina. But when it comes to Kentucky, Tennessee, here's my my devil's advocate take here, because I agree with you. I, I would have Tennessee second in the East. However, you said, well, I don't think Kentucky can beat Tennessee at Neyland. And so, you know, if you lose the head to head, Tennessee needs to be higher in the division. Well, last year, though, as an example, Kentucky finished second in the East and lost the head to head with Tennessee. Kentucky, um, you know, finished with, with one fewer loss in the, in the, conference race despite having lost the head-to-head with Tennessee and I actually think that could happen you could make the case that that could happen again this year you could say Tennessee wins the head-to-head but Tennessee has the tougher conference schedule let's say Tennessee loses to Alabama whom they have to play every year Georgia and then they have a road game at LSU LSU not as strong at least on paper as it's been in maybe some of the past seasons but still LSU on the road should be pretty tough. So they could lose three games, beat Kentucky, and and it's possible possible that Kentucky could only lose to Georgia and Tennessee because Kentucky's crossovers are the two Mississippi schools. Now, those aren't cupcake games, but I would say overall, no question, you'd rather be in Kentucky's scenario of having your two crossovers be Ole Miss and Mississippi State versus Tennessee having your crossovers be Alabama and a road game at LSU. So I think you can make a case for Kentucky to be second in the East or to be ahead of Tennessee. Uh, but I, like you, think Tennessee is going to win the head-to-head. It's in Knoxville. And uh, so that's it, – it's always hard for me knowing a team would have the head-to-head tiebreaker to pick that other team ahead of them. But that's sort of my devil's advocate take on Kentucky. You buying that or no? I realize that Kentucky has an easier schedule playing the Mississippi schools is in non-divisional games. However, I don't know that I would pick Kentucky to win either one of those games. I think it could lose to both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. It's got a really good linebacking core. Will Levis is a good quarterback, but I don't see a big-time playmaker at wide receiver. And Chris Rodriguez, 
is a tremendous running back, but I'll question how much depth they have behind him. So, and I don't think the offensive line at Kentucky will be as good as it's been in the past. We we've got to the point now where we just assume Kentucky will have a real field a really good offensive line. Yeah, that's a good point. Kentucky does have to replace a lot at the line of scrimmage on on both sides of the ball, and that's sort of a lingering question I have about them. When, when it comes to South Carolina. My jokes aside about how how much love you have for the Gamecocks here in the preseason, I, I think you're you're absolutely right in the fact that South Carolina should be ahead of of Florida in the East. I mean, they they drilled them last year in sort of the uh, the final act or the the last gasp, I guess, for Dan Mullen. Well, really, that was that was the loss to Missouri. I think was the nail in the coffin for Dan Mullen. But the beginning of the end was getting beat by uh, 23 points to South Carolina last year. And that was that was a South Carolina team that, you know, was just cycling through different quarterbacks week to week. Now it's got Spencer Rattler. And, yes, there is so much buzz around Anthony Richardson. And I, like you, am intrigued by his talent, although we don't know exactly, you know, what the, what the ceiling is for him. I mean, this is a guy at the end of the day that, you know, has, has completed like like 40 passes thereabouts, you know, throughout his career. And we just don't know. He's, he's a tantalizing talent, but we don't know what he's going to look like as the QB one. Uh, on the other hand, it's like everybody just forgets about Spencer Rattler. <laughs> We've talked about this before, you know, it's like, yeah, I know he lost the starting job at Oklahoma and he had a couple rough games last year, but by and large, this guy was a really good starting quarterback for a year and a half at Oklahoma very accurate passer, moves well. I mean, I just think for as much love as Anthony Richardson's getting in the preseason, I, I get that. But to just completely ignore Spencer Rattler and what he can do for a South Carolina team that already beat Florida last year, yeah, that, that seems puzzling to me that, that Florida would be ahead of South Carolina in the East. It tells me that that's as you said, Florida's just getting some credit for name recognition there and the name on the front of the jersey. That's to me, the only real explanation to have Florida ahead of South Carolina in this preseason poll. Yeah, it's almost as though Florida's demise is blamed on Dan Mullen now. He, at one point when he first came there, Dan Mullen was the one who resurrected the program. And the success coincided with the success he had at Mississippi State, building up that program. But when everything went south and... <laughs> It's kind of stunning the way it did and the way it transpired. And, and I don't, as we, we talked about this before, Dan Mullen just looked shell-shocked out there. But he, he does have a really good track record as a head coach overall. So to me, I just don't think Florida is as talented as some people make it out to be. All right, let's move to the West John, and here's the the rundown for the media poll in the SEC West. No surprise, Alabama's at the top in runaway fashion, gobbled up the vast majority of the first place votes. They're predicted to not only win the West, but they're predicted to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Uh, So behind Alabama, you have Texas A&M, you have Arkansas third, then you have Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn at the bottom. So thoughts on on that ranking in the West? 
Well, I have Texas A&M ranked second. Uh, I have uh, LSU ranked third. I think LSU is underrated. And I like Arkansas a lot, maybe not as much as you, but I do like Arkansas. But I look at that schedule. I think Arkansas coming into the season with high expectations, which are well-founded based on what it did last year, but I look at that schedule. I don't think Arkansas is winning at BYU in the middle of the season. That's a top 20 team to return 20 starters. Um, then just playing in the West and playing Cincinnati and even Liberty outside the conference. That to me is the hardest schedule in the conference. And I wonder how it will affect that team if it struggles and has a couple of early losses. Combine that with the preseason expe- expectations, this team could could really be impacted by that. So that's that's my main question with Arkansas. I also think LSU has improved itself tremendously in the transfer portal. And I think you look at Brian Kelly's track record as a head coach. He's won wherever he's been. So it's also improved itself with the head coach, replacing Ed Orgeron with Brian Kelly. I just think LSU will be better than people expect. It's got the best receiving core in the league. So those were the, those were, I guess that's what stood out to me in the West. So you'd have your your main thing is LSU's too low. You'd slide them ahead of Ole Miss. You'd slide them ahead of Arkansas, and and shuffle those those teams down in in the pecking order. I I do think what jumps out to me is LSU, and I don't I don't have as big a gripe on this one maybe as I did in some of the stuff in the East, but I do think LSU has a as a good case maybe for being underrated at this point. Because you know, there's Ole Miss pretty comfortably sitting at fourth in the in the West in the voting. They had a comfortable lead over LSU in the vote totals, and yet, really, both teams going into the season have kind of built their roster the same way. I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin's the portal king, self declared, but I think that's a, a fair assessment for what he's done in the in the portal. But so much of Ole Miss's success is going to come down to. Do those transfers play up to the billing? You know, Jackson Dart, the transfer quarterback from Southern Cal, is he as advertised? Can we count on him as to be a quality starting quarterback? If not, you know, is Luke Altmyer, who was the backup to Matt Corral last year, is he ready to the reins for the reins? We just we don't exactly know. And then LSU, you know, brought back Miles Brennan. Uh, brought back Garrett Nussmeyer and its quarterback competition, but then it also has a transfer of its own and Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. And much like Ole Miss, you know, a lot of starters out there for LSU this year, I think profiled to be transfers. So, yeah, I think I, I think LSU is a team that um, I, I could see being a top 25 team this year and, and exceeding expectations in Brian Kelly's first season. So I might be tempted to, at the very least, flip LSU and Ole Miss. Um, Mississippi State's one that I just don't know what to do with, John. It feels wrong to have them sixth in the West with as much as they bring back. I mean, they bring more starters back, I believe, than anybody else in the SEC. Uh, and I know that returning starters maybe doesn't mean quite as much as it used to with the uh, with the number of, of transfers that you see uh, out there on the field for teams and then also true freshmen you know, play more than ever than they than they used to, say, even a decade ago. But still, Mississippi State brings back a, a wealth of starting experience. They bring back a third-year starter 
and quarterback Will Rogers, who's you know familiar with Mike Leach's air raid system at this point. So it feels wrong to have them sixth in the West, but I don't know. I mean, it's just it's hard to make a case against any of these teams, really, other than Auburn. I think Auburn is is the the logical choice to be at the bottom of the West, but really two through six. I think could finish any any number of ways in in the West. I, I feel good saying Alabama's going to win the division. Um, I don't maybe feel as strongly, but I think I think Auburn needs to be the choice in the bottom division, and at least in preseason predictions. But two through six, I mean, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of parity there. I think it's odd in in the conference this year, going into the season in both divisions. Um, there could be a you could, there are a number of teams that you could pick second in either division. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked by somebody. I wouldn't ridicule somebody that picked South Carolina second in the East. Um, and in the West, it what so when you say Mississippi State's picked to finish six, <laughs> that shows just how difficult that division is. Mississippi State returning 16 starters, nine seniors on defense, a starting quarterback with uh, two years' experience as a starter, and that's that's a huge factor in, in Mike Leach's air raid offense. Is an experienced quarterback and experienced receivers. Mississippi State has both. I just don't know about how good its offensive line will be. I mean, when you consider his ability what as a coach and what he's done in, in – prior stops, Washington State and Texas Tech. I mean, would you be completely stunned if Mississippi State finished third? I, I No, I wouldn't be. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I mean, there, there is so much depth in the in the West. And I think one thing that jumps out to me, John, when I look at these, these preseason picks here is I think it, it tells me that I'm not alone in thinking that Alabama and Georgia – stand a good chance to be both back in the playoff this year. I think they could both run the table during the regular season, be undefeated going into that SEC championship. And regardless of who wins that game, you could get both teams into the playoff. And what it also tells me is it's kind of a shame on a number of fronts, but it's kind of a shame that we don't have the expanded playoff here at this format because you know how many teams in the SEC could be fighting for a, that third spot from – from the conference to be in, say, an eight-team playoff even, even if there were only a couple at-large spots. You know, you have six auto cha- auto bids for champions, and there's two at-larges. I think the S- SEC, it'd be a, a wild fight for that third bid, uh, perhaps, because I think, I think, you know, they'd get a second bid in the runner-up in the championship game, but I think they could claim that, that other at-large spot, too. Or how about a 12-team playoff with six at-large bids? I mean, wouldn't that be wild? Uh, to see these teams kind of in the middle of the pack jockeying for position to get into a 12-team playoff. That's that's really one of my takeaways when I see this is, boy, I think the conference is going to be really, really good this year. I think there's going to be some some strong teams from like 3 through 12 in the conference pecking order. But in the end, I think it's going to be Alabama and Georgia at the top. I think they're going back to the playoff. And I think everybody else is like fighting for a spot in the in the Sugar Bowl, which is – you know that's that's no uh, that's no criticism on their season. It's a nice consolation prize, but it's not a playoff spot. So, yeah, I think it's just sort of a shame that that we don't have that expanded playoff here yet. Because I think the way the conference is stacked up, there'd be a lot of good drama this year. 
Well, the thing is, Alabama and Georgia are held in such high regard, understandably. I mean, they also played for the national championship after the 2017 season. So to say they rank above everybody else, I mean, you could put them in any other conference and say the same thing that they, even in the Big Ten, if you say they're better, could be better than Ohio State, that would be the only question. Any other conference, you would have Alabama and Georgia head of the pack. So, or go the other route. What if you put some of these mid-level teams in the SEC? What if you sent Tennessee to the Pac-12 or, or you know, Texas A&M back to the Big 12? I mean, they might be contending for a playoff berth then. So it's a really strong league. And one thing that impresses me about the league this year are the quarterbacks. A lot of teams in this league are well-stocked at quarterback. And if they don't get hurt, it really bodes well for the season they could have. John, correct me if I'm wrong. You're a two-time published author. Is that right? Yeah, I'm thinking about a third book. I mean, can we count that as a, a three-time? I mean, is is the third just... book you're thinking about, is it the tale of Jeremy Pruitt? Do you you mentioned a book deal for Pruitt. Are you the author on that? I mean, you would think you covered as, as, as a columnist for the Knoxville News Sentinel. You covered his whole tenure. You've already published two books. You would think Pruitt would have reached out to you about a potential book deal. Now, I mean, I think we should reveal biases on this podcast. Can you put to rest here are you the author behind any book deal Blake I, I don't really think it's appropriate to talk about that at this time okay alright well best of luck to you as you consider that if you stand can, by if, if your man stand by your man <laughs> you go ahead and do that John Casey Pruitt would approve thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered